Thanks for being here. I said that the first service. I mean it. Thank you for coming. They're right in the middle of it, as uh, some of you are in this flood. And uh, quite honestly, some of the worst may be yet to come, the kind of the picking up pieces after after the waters go down. And so, you know, it's uh, been a challenging few days, and we'll continue to pray for you. But I live in Grundy Center, so, uh, I mean, we don't have rivers. We have cornfields, you know. <laughs> and uh, But... We have not gotten the rain that you guys have either, nor to the north, and so, uh, but we will continue to pray. But one thing I have noticed, just, just this flooding has, I guess, helped me in terms of kind of seeing the good that can come out of this and seeing, uh, you know, my faith in humanity change. I, I was here Friday, uh, with one of our mission partners, they, from Haiti, John John and Christy were here. They've actually acquired a truck, a big box truck, that they are going to ship down to Haiti, and uh, some of us were here helping them fill it up with a bunch of supplies. And so we drove the truck over the Center Street Bridge about the time they were about to close it, um, and we had to go fill it up with a whole bunch of things uh, on that part of town. And and here we were working, and I'm standing next to a young man, and we got to chatting and realized this guy has no connection whatsoever to Orchard Hill Church or to John, John, and Christie. But here he is helping. He said, what are we doing here? <laughs> I said, well, we're loading up the truck. He said, great. And he jumps right in, and it was just amazing. And, and he was around, and there were stories like that all over the place. We had a family from Waverly um, that go, attends at the campus there, and, and uh, she was sharing their, their houses in the part of town that needed to be evacuated. And so Thursday night they were trying to get ready for all that and clear out their basement and... Um, and she was sharing that there were just neighbors, people, friends, people walking the streets. Literally, she said, I had 20 people come up and said, can we help? Can we, can we do something? And so it's amazing to see that. I think it's, it's so interesting, especially now that we're actually in this series called The Risk to Belong. We've been talking about belonging. And to me, the, the kind of the central message is this, that to be human is to be connected. To be human is to be connected, to be connected to God and to others. And, and the importance of that and the, the power of that. And today I want to talk to you about really that this community, this part, this thing that God has been about, He's been about this for a very long time. And we all have this sort of, I think, longing to be a part of something, something bigger than ourselves. And it's been on display this, this weekend and to see people respond, to realize they're, they're, they're part of something bigger and they can, they can join in. Well, I want to talk to you about this new community that God has been about really since the beginning. If you go back to the fall, all the way back to the beginning of when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they rebel against God, I think right then and there it begins this, this, this restoration or reclamation project, if you will that God is wanting to invite and include a people. And in, in Genesis chapter 12, he says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you, because you trust in me, I want to make your family a great nation. And through that great nation, I want to bless the world, all nations. And so you have this sort of thing all throughout the Scriptures, this inviting and including God, inviting people into this thing, this movement, if you will. And then Jesus comes and he culminates and he sort of aligns this new community of faith and it, it gets launched 
And into all of eternity we see this picture of God creating a community of faith. People. People that God can bless. In fact, I had a professor, a mentor of mine, who said there's really only two things in this world that are eternal, that will last forever. One is God's Word. The second is God's people. And so God has been about creating a people, creating this people that He can bless so that they can bless others. And so this morning I want us to get just a, a, a tiny little snapshot, if you will, a picture of what does that new community look like. And we're going to read from Acts chapter 12 and 13. And before I read, I want to give just a little bit of background and history so you understand what we're reading. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his disciples, Hey, wait, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so you see Luke actually literally telling the story of this, this community, this movement of God in the book of Acts. The first few chapters are really about the witness in Jerusalem and how the early church became, came to be. And then in about Acts chapter 7, Stephen, one of the, the early disciples, he, he testifies before the Jewish leaders and then he's stoned and, and persecuted. And so the witness spreads. Because the church is, is being persecuted into, Jeru- into Judea and, and Samaria. And so the next several chapters are about that. And then in Acts chapter 12, the end of this chapter, and into Acts chapter 13 is this sort of transition moment again in which the gospel and the good news of what Jesus is about and this community of faith moves into the ends of the earth. And so I want us to take a look at that and say, What is it that we can see from that, that we might be a part of, that we can be a part of? Okay, so let me read. In this first verse, just so you understand, Barnabas and Saul, their buddies, now they are just returning from Jerusalem. They've just delivered an offering. They had a mission because there are two things going on. There was persecution in Jerusalem of that church, but there was also had been a famine And so the church that was scattered was collecting for them. And this is what it says in verse 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Okay, so what does this little picture look like? What does this new community that God is about creating and extended into eternity, what does it look like? Well, the first thing is this I want to kind of point out. It is a diverse and transformed community. It is a diverse and transformed community. Now, I'm convinced that uh, Luke was very specific and had a purpose for putting these names in here that we read about in these first verse of, of chapter 13. Most of us sort of skim over that. But I decided that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause and figure this out. I'm going to look up, well, who are these guys? So we know a little bit about Barnabas. 
Barnabas, we, we meet in Acts chapter 4, but he was, he was a Levite. He's actually trained as a Jewish priest. So he's a Jew. He's a faithful Jew. And yet, somehow he had an encounter with Jesus and he becomes a part of the early followers of Jesus. And we read in Acts chapter 4 that he owns some property and he sells the property and gives the proceeds to the early church. And he blesses them. It's an amazing kind of story. And so we see him here now being a leader in this little fledgling church in Antioch. He's traveling with Paul or Saul. Now the next person is Simeon called Niger. We don't know a lot about him, but Niger means black. So our guess is most people believe that he's a black man. Now some scholars, actually earlier scholars, trace him back to Luke 23. Luke 23 is a story of Jesus' crucifixion. And in that crucifixion story... Jesus is beaten and bloodied by the Romans, and then he's forced to carry his own cross to Golgotha. But on the way, he collapses, you know, in this story, in Luke 23. And the Roman soldiers call out a person in the crowd, and his name is Simon of Cyrene. And he carries the cross, Jesus' cross, from that point on, and he watches Jesus being crucified, nailed to the cross, and killed there. Some scholars believe that person is that guy, Simon called Niger. Here, now a leader. So what does that do to you? To see that, to watch a bloodied and beaten Jesus and then carry that cross. Well, it transformed him. It changed him. And here he is. Amazing. And then you've got... Lucius of Cyrene. We know even less about Lucius, but we do know Cyrene is actually part of Libya today. So here we have another African. So you've got a couple Jews and, and two Africans and Menaean. Okay, so Menaean is actually a Jewish name who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Luke is given a specific detail. So he's like, this is a friend, like a foster brother. He grew up with this guy. Now, we don't know a lot about Manan, but we do know something about Herod. Herod is not a nice man. He beheaded John the Baptist, and he's at the crucifixion trial of Jesus. And he goes about persecuting the early church just because he wants to be in favor with the Jews. And here you have a guy who grew up with that in the front row seat, watching that. And yet here he is, changed and part of the early church. Amazing. And then you've got Saul. Of course, we know about Saul. If you kind of know anything about New Testament history, Saul has later become Paul. Saul is a Jew who absolutely hated the early Christians. He was out to persecute them. And in Acts chapter 9, he's on his road to Damascus to imprison the early Christians. And Jesus shows up to him in a vision. He said, Paul, why are you doing this to me? And he's blinded. And for a long time, he is overwhelmed. And yet, scales come from his eyes, and he's transformed, and he becomes a leader in the early church. It's an amazing picture. Think about it. You've got three Jews and two black men leading this early church. It's amazing that it it reflects the diversity, I think, that is expressed in Revelation chapter 5 of this community that God is about. Let me just read it. It says there, You are worthy... 
You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. That's the picture. In fact, that's the snapshot of this early church. God wants to build people from every tribe and every nation to be together. Now there's something very, very important about this new community. But think about this. Just for a second, in our world, what would it be like for us to reflect that kind of community in a world that's so divided and so mistrustful and so sort of fighting each other? And yet here are are Christians together that are diverse, black and white and brown. Well, there's two things I think that were critically important. Somehow the early church understood something. They had shared commitments around Jesus. They had shared commitments. They had come to believe that at the cross of Jesus, there is a level playing field. At the cross of Jesus, there is a level playing field. There is no black or white or rich or poor or Democrat or Republican. But there's just people. There's one race, the human race. They're just people in desperate need of a Savior. And they began to see Jesus as a Savior, one who rescued them. This Jesus saved them on the cross. Now there's something else I think that they were committed to about Jesus. He was not just the resurrected or the the crucified one, the Savior, but He was the resurrected Lord. For whatever reason, you've got this diverse group of people coming and saying, you know what, here is my agenda, here are my hopes, here are my dreams. Jesus, I'm going to seek to align my life and my priorities with you. Here I am. I want to follow you. And they had chosen to do that. It's an amazing picture of what God wants to do. I think, in our midst. And he's inviting us to come. Come follow me. Come be a part of this thing that I'm building. I want you to be a part of it. What would it be like for us to be in that kind of church, that community? All of them had a profound and life-changing encounter with Jesus. And they were sacrificing all that they had to follow him. Here's a second picture. I don't kind of want a, a snapshot, if you will. The very next verse says this: while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke. Spoke. Now, it's interesting to me that Luke uses an interesting word for worship. He drew it, actually, from the Greek culture. It literally means this, doing a public work at one's own expense. To worship is to do a public work at one's own expense. In other words, it's public. Anyone and everyone can do it, and anyone and everyone can see it, in a sense. It's not private. It's public. But it's at one's own expense. In other words, no one else can do it for you. It's something that we do, I do. 
And it, so it has so many sort of applications about what worship is. But think about this. Tim, while he's a great worship leader, he can't worship for you. Your spouse can't worship for you. Your friends can't worship for you or your grandparents or whoever it is. It's something that we do at our own expense. We worship. And then they, it says they were fasting. And one scholar says this, there was an atmosphere of urgent desire. In other words, they were expecting God to speak and God spoke. They were longing for God to speak. And so what is it that we do when we come together like this? We're trying to create time and space where God can speak. And He does. i got to tell you, a couple weeks ago, um, I was getting ready to teach at Lincoln Center and then the theater in Grundy. And um, I get a call at 7.45 in the morning. It's my son, Brennan. Now, no one wants to get a call uh, at 7.45 on Sunday morning. And uh, he calls and said, Dad... I've been in a car accident. I'm like, man, what do you do with that? You're 500 miles away. No dad wants to get that phone call, let me tell you. But thankfully I said, hey, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I'm okay. I had a group of guys we were going to church. I mean, they were headed to church together, and they get in a car accident. And, um, you know, thankfully they're okay. He's okay. Car is not okay. But dad's a wreck. I mean, that's awful. So here I am, I have to go into church and I'm, I drive into Lincoln Center and we begin worship there and I'm supposed to get up and teach and I'm thinking, boy, you know what's going on? I'm just, I'm totally lost. And, and we started singing. And we sang this old hymn, you know, this is my father's world. You guys know it? And we have a little tagline that we'll often sing together. It says, I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. This is my Father's world. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. This is my Father's world. I mean, I was a mess. I mean, I still get tinglies. Why? Because God spoke. God spoke to me in that moment. God spoke. And I needed it. Desperately needed it. In that moment. What do we do when we gather together? We're trying to create space. When we're opening up Scripture and we're engaging it, we're trying to create space where God can come and speak. And we need it. I think we all desperately want God to speak into our lives and speak to us. I needed it. God still speaks, but here they were. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me. It's interesting to me, I'm convinced, that most moves of God start when there's a few who earnestly come together and simply are asking God to speak to them. I love church history, and one of the interesting stories that that, I, that has stuck with me is a story that began in 1806. It's called the Haystack Meeting of 1806. It's with a group of college students from Williams College, crazy college kids, coming together. Why? Because they had a concern for their campus and their fellow students. And they began meeting together twice a week to pray. 
You're simply asking God, God, would you speak? Would you lead? Would you help us? Well, they were ridiculed by some of their friends, and even the administration of the college uh, kicked them off campus. And so they were coming together to meet, and they didn't know where to go, and it began raining. And so they went to the edge of town, and there was a, a farm near the edge of town, and under in this farm there was a haystack. They literally met underneath this haystack. They began praying. And Samuel Mills, who was the leader of, of the the group at that time began the discussion about their own sort of passion for their, their campus. But beyond that, they said, you know, I think God is asking us to, to pray about, you know, going overseas and what would that look like? And we need to pray for people halfway around the world. And so they began praying. And in that meeting, this phrase came out of this meeting. Let me, let me read it to you. We can do this if we will. We can do this if we will. We can do this if we will. See, they weren't praying anymore about somebody else coming and doing something. They were praying, what is God you are saying to us that we can go do? That we can be engaged in? We can do it if we will do it. That's an amazing statement. And so it began a movement. In fact, it transformed the campus. And to this day, it's still a student missionary society in America that has sent hundreds of college students around the world. Why? Because they simply listened to what God was speaking to them and they acted. A community willing to listen and be led by Jesus. Here's the third thing. So, God spoke, and the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Good luck, brothers. Here's a beautiful picture. They were a community that was willing to risk to bless others. Willing to risk to bless others. Forty percent of their core leadership of that church. Hey, See ya. Now go bless. Go bless the nations. We believe God is calling you. We're sending you. What do you think? Should start counting off? We want to to send you. We're we're willing to risk. Now do you think, I mean, do you think that if they would have known everything that they were about to encounter, if they would have had the courage to say, yes, I'm in, I'm going to go do that. I mean, you think about the rest of the story. I mean, you can read it in the book of Acts. It's an amazing journey. Paul is uh, beaten, he's cursed, he's stoned, he's shipwrecked multiple times, he's imprisoned. I mean, Barnabas, his friend, and he got in such a fight that they, they parted paths over John Mark. All of this relational tension, and yet they were willing to risk. They were willing to go. Eventually they were reconciled to one another. But they said, you know what? We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to risk. Why? Because we believe that there are people out there that need to hear the good news of what Jesus is doing. This kingdom work. We want to be about this. 
So let me ask you this. I want to just leave, leave this question with you this morning. I want to ask you this. What is your next step? What's your next step? You think about this, these last four weeks, we're joining in this, this risk to belong. Where are you in your journey? God is up to something good. Maybe, maybe it's about I need to kind of understand who this Jesus is. But let me say this, if you're at that point in your journey, it's okay, what I would encourage you to do is grab a few others who may be a little further down the road and join with them where you can open up scriptures together and you can allow them to be your eyes and ears and help you hear what is God saying? What does this mean for my life? Who is this Jesus and how do I begin to align myself with him? Maybe some of you just need to join in. You need to jump in. You need to find those friends. You need to be there. You need to be in community. We don't walk this alone. But maybe, maybe like Dave said earlier, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he said, you're in, up to your eyeballs in community. Maybe what God is saying to you is, your next step is to go on a kingdom adventure. To initiate, to risk. Maybe to gather a group of people. Maybe to be across the street and witness and, and minister to your friend and neighbor. Maybe it's being at work and saying, you know what, this is God's platform for me. And I'm going to serve the people that I work with. I'm going to love them as Jesus would love them. What are you ready to risk? What is your next step? It's amazing what God is up to. This new community of faith. And God continues, and He will continue. Really, friends, two things are eternal. His Word and His people. Let's jump in. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for this group of people in this room. Thank You for the work that You've been doing in them and for the work that You will do through them. Lord, I pray that as we uh, contemplate kind of our own next steps, Speak to us. Help us. Help us to understand who you are and what you're about and what you want to do. Lord, we get to be a part of this this work. Help us to see that the best way forward is something small, something simple, and that we can do that. We can be about that. Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name. And we pray together and all God's people say, Amen.